Heavenly Father, would, would you speak to us this morning from your word? Thank you for preserving it so faithfully, and thank you for inspiring it, Holy Spirit, not just then, but even now, uh, that you can speak to us from that. We want to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 4. That's where we're going to be today. I'm just going to read this passage, and then we're going to uh, get, get talking into it. You're, we're going to talk through it. But <clears throat> I want to go ahead and read. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the back, I think. Uh, you can keep that Bible. You can take one and give it to somebody who doesn't have one. If you have an app, you can open it up on your phone. Um, and, uh, and the passage I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through all of this passage, and uh, we're just going to cover a few verses, okay? So it's... Uh, also the passage we were in last week, okay? So starting in verse 17 in chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through de deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So... Uh, Last week, just overall, we're working through Ephesians. It's a, it's a book written by the Apostle Paul. It was a letter to the church in Ephesus. And we went through Ephesians 1 through 3. We, we called that the foundations of worship. We did that before uh, Christmas. And now from the new year on, we've been walking through uh, Ephesians 4 through 6, which we're calling walking in worship. Um, and, and I think you're going to see why over the course of the next weeks as we, as we go through it. It's, it's about it's, the word walk comes up a bunch. And so it's not just like we're like, well, you know, what's a good idea? Let's call it walking. It's the words that Paul uses. And so it's literally about how we walk, how we live our lives. And, uh, and so last week we looked at this command. And, and, Paul, and Paul's saying, it's not from me. I'm testifying in the Lord. Um, and we looked at this command uh, about how God's direction for our lives is to live differently. Okay. Uh, don't live as the Gentiles do, which is just kind of all peoples. Every, don't live the way that everybody else is living. Live differently. And this followed his direction, if you remember from Ephesians 4, at the very beginning of Ephesians 4, he was telling us to live uh, in unity, right? So it's all about how we are one with one another, how, we, how, the, how the church is this one body of Christ. And so that was just kind of how that works. So live in unity is what he was telling us. When we trust and treasure God in our lives, we will build a life on the foundation of worship he laid through the gospel. It will be a life lived as a member of his body. We don't just come to know Jesus and then just kind of go rogue and just, uh, you know, get your uh, Christian badge, and then you just go out into the wilderness and start conquering whatever that looks like. You know, it's, it's life lived together as a member of his body, connected to other people in his church. And then last week, not only are we living in unity with his body, but we are living in distinction from other people around us, right, other cultures around us. The word he uses, they're Gentiles, that is just the word for peoples, okay? And so when a Jew talked about Gentiles, it was just everybody else, okay? So uh, that's what he's saying. You're going to live differently. And what we see here and throughout the scriptures is that a li the life he, that um, our calling in Jesus produces is, is kind of like swimming upstream, okay? Um, I went to Alaska one summer. I saw a bunch of uh, salmon swimming upstream, okay? It looked exhausting. 
Uh, and, uh, and they actually were dying along the way, and so it looks really gross, because like, that's what happens. They get to the top of the river, and then they die. I don't think that's the Christian life. I'm just saying it's swimming upstream, okay? Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and here's the deal with the gospel, why, why it's like swimming upstream. John Piper says it this way, the gospel is at home with every, in every culture and at odds with every culture. Okay, so that means that you can carry the gospel news into any people group on the planet, anywhere. Potentially anyone, if there were more people groups in the universe, you could take, take it to those people groups in the other parts of the universe. But anywhere on the planet, the gospel is at home. You can, it can find its way in. It can pull out what is true in any culture, okay, and connect with that. But it's also at odds with every culture. And the reality is, is there's this tension between a life of worshiping God in Jesus and a life of worshiping anything else. Now, we're going to worship things. Like, you are a worshiper. I don't have to know you. You worship stuff because you trust and treasure something. Everybody's doing it, okay? And so uh, it's just a, a tension between worshiping God through Jesus or anything else. And it's often seen in the things that you do, the behaviors of your life, okay? And that's how we measure things a lot of times. You measure them through how, how your behaviors. You are what you do a lot of times in terms of just our culture and the human mindset. Uh, if I meet you, uh, I mean, people, people all the time know that I'm a pastor because they ask me, what do you do, right? It comes up very soon in any conversation. But the, it's, it's uh, a different set of doing is how we kind of measure uh, this shift in a life of worshiping God and worshiping anything else. But it's more than that. It's more than a shift in behavior. It's deeper than that. So a life of worship isn't formed by a new set of behaviors. And, and you need to hear this. It's formed by a new identity that you are given. So in Christ, there's been a new identity formed in us, and this identity has behaviors that flow out of it. You've probably heard this if you've been around our church, but we're going to double, double down on this. We're going to consider what those things that flow out of the identity are next week. Okay, so, so we're going to get into that. Like, hey, uh, next week it's going to be like, hey, because you have this identity in Christ, don't lie to people. We're going to talk about what lying really looks like. Okay, tell the truth. Okay, don't steal from people. Have a job so you can be gentle. We're going to get into all those uh, things next week. But before we move on, I just wanted to read, as I was trying to prep for this week, I just felt like we needed to retrace the lines of something that this passage mentions. Like we need to, uh, as a community of people, linger in the truth of this passage just a little bit longer. There's, there's just this component of it that I think we could miss and it's going to really interrupt your ability to understand and apply everything else in the rest of Ephesians, if you miss this. Uh, so I want to zoom in on something Paul says that I think has huge implications for you. And so I think that Paul's talking about identity, your identity. And uh, identity is a slippery concept. It's like leadership or vision or just like words that people say. And you're like, identity. And, and there's, there might be 14 different definitions of that. Uh, that word. And so when, when, I'm, when I'm talking about identity, I think when the scriptures talk about identity, uh, they don't even use that word identity. It doesn't show up in this passage, okay? Uh, the word self does, so a new self or old self shows up. But it's talking about identity, which is a, where you draw your meaning, significance, or security from. Okay, so just you, take those words and anchor them in your mind. If you're trying to understand what you're getting your identity from, and everybody's, everybody's deriving their identity from something. You are thinking about yourself. You're kind of understanding yourself. 
uh, not because of something you create in you, but something you derive from something. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Like, I think our culture is actually on a mission to try to get you to derive your identity from yourself, okay? This have we talked about this? In Frozen 2, this is probably the best place I can see this. Frozen 2, okay, me and, again, children's sermon, uh, but uh, it's like my level. Um, I, I saw Frozen 2, and it's so fascinating because this, like, theme that runs through it is, and it's a storyline that, that really the culture's trying to get to perpetuate, which is for Elsa, who's like one of the main characters in the story, there's a song. Well, really the whole thing, she's on a, a journey of self-discovery, and what she finds at the end of that journey, you know what she finds? You are the one that you've been waiting for all of your life. That's the lyric in the song. You are the one you've been, hey, I won't do that to you, but <laughs> go back and listen to it, okay? That's the end of her journey. You want to know who you are? Decide for yourself. You want to know your, your, your gender? Decide for yourself. You want to know what, anything else about yourself? Decide for yourself. You get to decide. It's a choose-your-own-adventure story. Identity is something you get to create. That's what culture's trying to tell you, but all of it is derived, and in, in, in the sense of when you're deriving it from yourself, you're also just kind of finding that from a feeling or some, from some kind of thing inside of you, but identity is slippery Everybody's deriving their identity. Everybody's thinking about themselves, trying to draw their meaning, significance, and security from something. For reference, that's what you worship. Okay? If you want to know where you get your identity, what you worship, just look for where you get your identity from. And uh, one of my first jobs was in a pyramid scheme. Okay, have anybody else been in a pyramid scheme? Sometimes they're called multi-level marketing companies. Okay, for the record, for it to be not a pyramid scheme and be a multi-level marketing company, you have to provide value. Okay, so that's a little bit harder to do than it seems. And for the company I worked for, that's why I would say it's not a multi-level marketing company where you like, you get recruited on somebody's team and then you build your own team and then you make money off of them. And that's like, so the one I worked for, I was in high school. It was like my, one of my first jobs. These older buddies of mine recruited me into this company that uh, they sold identity theft protection and, uh, and prepaid legal insurance, okay? And so I didn't get rich, okay? You might be surprised by that, but not a lot of people were willing to trust a company who was also licensing an 18-year-old to sell their product. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to trust you to protect my identity, and this guy's who's representing you. It's like, that's not going to work. Um, the irony, though, is not that... I didn't get rich. The irony about this company is that it, exist, it, that it existed at all. So this company that sells identity theft protection was actually selling this to people. And it's not because people are crazy. It's because one out of 15 people have their identity stolen in some form or fashion. You might be like, oh no, where's my credit card? Like data breaches, all kinds of, one in 15 people have experienced that. Has anybody actually had their identity stolen in here in some form or fashion? Trey, okay, okay, yeah, we're, the odds are not good. The rest of you guys need to go look back and look at your, uh, the expenses in your cards, okay? Uh, but that's talking about financial identity a lot of times, okay? So, so again, we're trying to say, Paul's talking about identity. Identity is a slippery idea. It's where you get your meaning, significance, and security. We sell identity theft protection because we know that something about us, we need to protect that. And uh, I think more prevalent than identity theft is actually identity confusion, what I'm talking about with Elsa and any of these other uh, messages you get from uh, culture is that more prevalent than identity theft, which is pretty prevalent. So again, LifeLock is a thing. Like people are making money selling this because 
your identity is getting stolen, but more, more so your identity is getting confused. Your identity is getting confused. Is, is this true for Christians? Maybe especially true for Christians, uh, that your identity is getting confused. We get tangled up in the things that we're trying to, that we think we're supposed to do. We're, we're trying to do the right things and, and live this Christian life, but we get kind of tangled up in trying to do that, trying to live it out, trying to walk out this worship that God has founded in us. We get tangled up and confused. May, or maybe I'm just the only one. Maybe I'm the only one who, uh, you know, every few months I'm just trying, I get kind of realize I'm turned upside down in my faith and I'm trying, I'm like turned around backwards trying to follow Jesus. And uh, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that comes out in the form, like a form of like, hey, all of a sudden there's this activity or behavior in my life that's really ugly, or if it's just an indifference towards Jesus uh, and the things that he cares about. But that's what happens is we get confused and we, we think our behavior forms our identity. It's a, it's a human thing to do that you're going to think that your behavior forms your identity. And then beyond that, we know that our behavior doesn't match what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And so then we're like, am I a Christian? Am I even close to, to knowing Jesus? Because my behavior forms my identity and my behavior doesn't match up with what it means to be a Christian. So am I a Christian? You get mixed up and turned around. And if it's not you, it is your neighbor who's trying to follow Jesus or the person next to you in this seat, okay? And it has a twofold impact. Here's why we're talking about it this morning. You become discouraged and frustrated. You fail to worship God because you think that God is angry with you. You think that God is pulling himself back from you. You get discouraged in your faith and you fail to live a life of worship. You're actually uh, then running into this double negative where you have this situation where you're kept from engaging with the truths that can actually change you and grow you. So you, you get confused and you think that you're, you're not even really living the Christian life. And in the midst of that, your identity as a failure as a Christian is marking you and it's keeping you from really engaging with the truths that can actually change you. And so what I want us to see today is that a life of worship is formed in us as we embrace an identity in Jesus that has been given to us, okay? I think it's up there for you to read that, just so you can anchor that visually. A life of worship is formed in us as we embrace an identity in Jesus that has been given to us. So if you have had some kind of striving, some kind of uh, sense of not being enough in the Christian life, some kind of sense of I'm not getting it done and I don't really know where I stand in this whole thing. Some confusion in your own identity. Here's what I want you to see. A life of worship is formed in us, not as we do better at those things, but as we embrace an identity that has done better already. Okay? And so here's how the message flows. It's, um, it goes, uh, a person, not a process. That's what we're going to look at first, and then we're going to look at what has, has been done, and then we'll, we'll look at what needs to be done. Okay? So we're going to look at a person, not a process, what, need, what has been done, and then what needs to be done. Okay? And so just to reinforce this more, consider the things that Paul was 
as we're getting into, we're going to get into verse 20 in just a second, okay? Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 20. And so if you look back and, and kind, of, kind of catch yourself into the flow of verse 20, what you're going to see is not that uh, he's calling us to live differently primarily in our external behavior. If you go back and look at it, look at what Paul is saying is the opposite of living according to the Gentiles. If you want to look, see what Paul is saying, hey, don't live according to this way of life. What is he saying? What, what's true about that? It's, 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 a, it's darkened understanding. It's futility of thinking. It's hardness of heart. Where are all of those things located? Where are all of those things, your understanding, your thinking, and your heart, where are those things? What's true about all of those things? They're located in you. Those are not external things. Those are primarily internal things. So if you want to know what the life of the Gentiles is that Paul is talking about, it's not primarily their behavior. It's primarily what's true inside of the activity that's happening internally. Okay? And all of that makes its way into practice. Okay? So it's what's happening in them, and it makes its way into their practice in their lives. Okay? And so uh, this, is why you can, this is why you can see people all around you that are not robbing banks, okay? The people around you that are living the life of Gentiles that Paul is talking about are not necessarily robbing a bank. They're not necessarily killing somebody. Uh, they're not burning down houses. It's not like, oh, yeah, my neighbor house went down last night because all the Gentiles ran through. Like, you got JD with that one. All right, so it's, that, that's, not what, that's not how it looks. That's why Paul can even say this, is that uh, it doesn't have to be all of their external behaviors. It's not that they're even doing the wrong things. It's do, they're doing them with the wrong motive. Because motive matters. It's not just that we pursue wrong things. It's that we desire good things for the wrong reasons. That's what Paul is talking about with the darkened understanding and the futility of thinking and the hardness of heart. Okay, so that's where we're at. The gospel trains us to live differently, but it calls us to, uh, it doesn't call us to a new set of behaviors first. Paul's going to give you a list of things to do if you're, you're like a list person. He, he'll give you a list, but your motive in accomplishing that list is critical to understand. That's why we're going to spend a whole week just here, just moving through these couple of verses together, okay? It doesn't call us to a new set of behaviors. It calls us to a person. The gospel does not call you to a new set of behaviors, and if you miss this, you will miss the gospel of Jesus. It calls you to a person. Let's look at it. Verse 20. Again, talking about uh, how the Gentiles, how everybody who's not worshiping God through Jesus, how they all live, okay? He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And now look, he didn't say that's not the way you learned in Christ. You see that? He said, that's not the way that you learned Jesus Christ, the Christ, the person, okay? And so what's unique about the gospel is that it's telling you not, hey, come do these things. It's, coming to you, it's telling you, hey, come meet this person. That's why when we uh, roll out kingdom initiatives as a church, why, we, why when we kind of start trying to do that, advance God's kingdom in every generation, that's why when we do that, we're not going to try to get people to do certain things. We're going to try to introduce them to a person, Okay, that's what we want you to do is to know Jesus and follow him. And it starts with knowing a person. 
Okay, and this, just so you know, the context of what Paul's talking about, the language, he's saying this, is, this has happened. This was what you learned. When you learned Christ, that's, that's the time, point of conversion for you, okay? So that means that for you to have heard the gospel, you have heard that there was something that was completed and done in the person of Christ. And his life and his death and his resurrection, all of that wrapped up into a message is the gospel. And that's what's given to you as a person. That's what you receive when you receive the gospel, not uh, it's, it's historical historical in the sense that it's not a set of things for you to do, but it's a set of things that has been done in a person, okay? And so this is really important to understand. It's something that's completed and done. That's not the way you learned Christ, okay? When you're living like these Gentiles do, okay, when you're living this life of futility and hardness of heart, all of those things are in opposition not just to a set of behaviors, but to a person, okay? And he goes on in verse 21. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is just a fascinating set of words that he puts together, okay? So follow with me. Now, he says, assuming the way that the language plays out would be something like, if you have heard, and I know you have, okay? When we say, hey, assuming this, like, it's like there's a chance that maybe not, okay? Uh, maybe that's not true. Paul spent a good amount of his life. He invested a good amount of his ministry into uh, these Ephesians, okay? So people who are reading this letter, he's saying, assuming, if you have heard, and I know you have. If you've heard this, and I know that you have. In, in Acts chapter 20, you can, you can go and see Paul, and he's weeping on a beach with the Ephesian elders because he's having to go, he's, the Spirit's leading him on to a place that he knows he's not coming back from, okay? He's weeping because he knows these people. He's invested in these people. He has spoken the gospel. He has proclaimed the gospel to these people. So assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, okay? So Paul can assume that because he spent time, lots of time, telling these people the truth about the gospel. And so what I don't want to necessarily do is just assume that here today. The, the dominant proclamation of Jesus in the city of Fort Worth and around and around this part of the country, I'd say maybe even just Western civilization, the, the dominant proclamation is not the, dom, not the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is incredibly scandalous. It is a crazy set of news that the God of the universe put on flesh and he died for you and it didn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do from any day forward. If you say, I'm trusting and receiving that, that forever you will live in perfect harmony with that God, in perfect relationship with him. When you die, your body's gonna come back out of a grave and somehow that's gonna happen. That's the proclamation of the gospel. So don't just assume that you've heard that because what you hear, the message that comes into your ears most frequently is not the message of the gospel. The, the message that's so scandalous that Paul is in, a, in Romans gonna have to say, now don't just kind of assume that you can just go keep on sinning because grace is gonna abound. The gospel is fundamentally different than religion and it's not a set of things that you achieve, okay? So assuming that you have heard about Jesus. If you've heard about him, and, and now I know that you have, and you were taught in him, is what he says. He, this is the idea that is being carried here, is that you don't just learn Jesus one time. You don't just kind of, oh, great, I went to camp, got my Jesus message, and now let's go on to other things in this uh, Christian life. You were taught in him. Your growth, your maturity as a follower of Jesus has to do with knowing the person of Jesus more. This is really good stuff to me, okay? 
this, is, this is why you don't need a theological education. You don't need a lot of, like, you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to do, you need to know a person. You're taught in him. You continue to learn that person. The problems you're facing in your faith, believer, the problem, just the problem you're facing in your faith is not going to be solved by moving on from Jesus. So if you're hoping maybe that somehow whatever's going on in your faith, whatever's inhibiting your growth, whatever's kind of weighing down on you, whatever you're frustrated with, whatever your failures, all that stuff, that's not going to be, you're not going to um, move past that by moving around Jesus or somehow coming out from underneath the gaze of the Lion of Judah. You're going to have to engage with him. So maybe you're, if you're hiding from him this morning, okay, you're, you think maybe I can hide in here, okay? This is a strange building I can hide in here. Uh, that's not how you're going to grow. Your, ident- your identity is formed by a person and not a process. Your identity is formed by a person and not a process. So having your identity formed in Christ requires knowing what has been done in Christ. Okay, so that's what we're going to, what has been done. So it's a, your identity is formed by a person, not a process, and now we understand what, what, he, is, what he has done or, or what it looks like to have learned Christ. Okay, and so that's what we're going to, Keep going in verse 22. He says, um, when you learned Christ, what you learned is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And I want to look at what is put off and what's put on right next to each other for right now, okay? And there's a reason why. Uh, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so you put off an old self, and you put on a new self. Okay, so that, just, this is really important. The tense of these words, like the way that he wrote these words, the way the Holy Spirit inspired this language, he deals with uh, something that doesn't show up in English, so it's really hard to translate it into English, okay? And so it's called the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T, okay? And, and what that is communicating to us is something that was once and for all finished, okay? And so it's, you, what you learned in Christ was to put off your old self, this thing that has been done. So when you learned Christ, you learned that that old self has been put off and a new self has put on, been put on. And the reason, some people do actually debate how those, the, the verb tenses play out, but this is consistent, exactly consistent with what Paul is saying in Romans 6.4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, we were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death. Happened in the past. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So, so to receive the gospel is to now receive, there is this, the identification with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. That's at the heart of this gospel presentation, okay? That's what it means is that Jesus died your death, so you died with him, okay? So the news on this is that there are parts of your heart that have rejected God, rebelled against God. Now, however polite that may have been, it earned you a distance, a separation from God that you could never repay, 
Because of God's holiness, my sin meant that I could not dwell near to him, okay? I couldn't be in right relationship with him because of this sin. So something had to happen to be reconciled to him, okay? And that's Jesus' death because he didn't deserve a death. And then his resurrection. I know that it was paid in full because he walked out of the tomb, okay? So, so now my life and death and resurrection is all tied up in Jesus. And so he's saying you learned to put off this old self, and you learn to put on this new self. And uh, the way that I've been thinking about this recently is just with our goldfish buddy, okay? And uh, the thing about my goldfish buddy is he lived like 45 minutes, I think. Uh, it was my wife's very sneaky plan of trying to replace our dog with a less, something that has a lesser footprint, okay? And um, just kidding, it, he went on, my dog's on a sabbatical because having a baby is a big deal and so we didn't want to mess our house up further. Um, and my dog is a big dog, he's like 100 pounds. And so we got a goldfish and one day we were like, hey, let's, Lucy, my two and a half year old, let's do something. It's like cold and gray and rainy and we got to do something or else we're all gonna just go insane in here. Okay, so let's go get a goldfish. Seems like it's gonna be a low cost, adventure, okay? So $30 later in the 31 cent goldfish, just so you know, like 31 cents and then 29 whatever are surrounding this 30 cent fish, okay? We got him set up. He had purple rocks. Lucy picked out like a tiki hut for him, which I was like, he's not going to go in the hut, you know? We put him in the water. He immediately goes in the hut. And I was like, oh, it worked. How about that? Um, and uh, you know, I, his water level wasn't very high, and so what I did is I was like, okay, I bought dechlorinator, which you have to do, and they were like, if you don't, your fish is going to die. And I was like, well, is that that bad? I could just replace him for less than the dechlorinator. Um, <laughs> and uh, he just, so I was like, whatever, I'll give five, five bucks. I could have gotten like 150 fish out of this, uh, of dechlorinator. So I bought the dechlorinator. I doubled his square footage of water. So he, I was like, dude, you're welcome. Um, and you know what Buddy did as a, as a favor for my uh, increased square footage is he just died, okay? okay the next day, I was, I was talking, I was doing something with Lucy, and Natalie came up. She goes, Buddy's dead. And, uh, and I was like, oh, no, this is going to crush Lucy's heart, you know? So I kind of very sneaky, I just kind of moved the tank somewhere else, and I was like, I'm going to deal with this, all the fallout later. And I did. It was a great moment where Lucy and I got to talk about sin and death, and uh, how death is working its way out in um, our world right now, and Buddy died, okay? That was how, I, I was expecting like a lot of tears because that's how I responded when my fish died. And uh, she goes, okay, get another one next time. And I was like, <laughs> she's not even phased. It's amazing. Um, and, uh, but his tank is still in the garage. It's TBD whether or not we're going to get another Buddy, all right? But what's funny is now every time buddy comes up in our language and like a sentence, hey, buddy, hey, this or that, Lucy is very quick to say, buddy's dead. <laughs> She's like, hey, hey, hey let, me, let, me, let me catch your attention here before you go any further. Don't say anything else because buddy's dead. Don't, we're talking about buddy. Buddy's dead. So like live in reality here, you know? And I'm like, it's just so funny to me how she locks onto that. And, uh, and, and what, I've, what I've realized is that we're not always good at recognizing what's dead in us. Okay, and so here we're told to put off your old self. Your old self belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire, desires. It's rotting. Okay, and what the, the whole of Paul's letters tell you is that that part of you has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. Buddy's dead. And uh, we're not so good at recognizing what's dead in us. 
okay? And uh, we're not good at understanding our old self and how it manifests itself in our lives, where it shows up or where our identity, here's the right way of thinking about this, because your old self isn't just like, oh, I'm just, put on, I'm like, put it on, take it off, put it on, it's not, that's not what it is, but your identity, you're trying to switch back to finding your identity in your old self, drawing your meaning, significance, and security from your old self, that's what you're trying to do or what you're getting confused, getting tangled up, what you're starting to do is switch back and start to draw your meaning, significance, and security from your old self, and your old self is dead. Okay, and uh, our old self, remember, was primarily expressed through inward activity, not outward activity. So you might even do the same things, but you're going to drift back into doing them for the wrong reasons. You might come here every Sunday for the rest of your life, and somewhere in there, you start doing that not because of who you are in Christ, but to get to be somebody in Christ. Uh, Taking off the old self or understanding the old self that was taken off requires uh, being able to know which is which, and for some, like, which is your old self and which is your new self. And now before you think, that's easy, I already know that. Think again, okay? Your old self, this is easy, I guess, if your old self did heroin, okay? If you were a drug dealer in here, and I'm glad you're in here, and Christ has got a hold of your life, and you're like, not dealing drugs anymore, right? Then if you went back and you started dealing drugs, okay, this behavior that's manifested from some belief in you, okay, you're going to go back and start doing that, that would be easy to recognize, right? I'm dealing drugs. That's what I used to do before I knew Jesus, okay? Or if you were a murderer and you started killing people again, like, or like whatever, like, easy way that, like, there's sometimes our stories, some people have testimonies that maybe you weren't a murderer, but man, you were sleeping with every single person that you met. Maybe you weren't, maybe you weren't a drug dealer, but you destroy, you were just massively angry, and there's a wake of broken relationships in your past. Some people have testimonies like that, okay? And I would love for there to be more and more testimonies like that in here. It would be amazing because I'm totally confident in God's grace to reconcile the, the nastiest of sinners, just like the guy who wrote this letter, into relationship with him. But here's the deal. A lot of us are coming from, they ha- we have these testimonies that are fairly uneventful. That's actually the testimony I want for my daughter, is one that's uneventful. You know what? I grew up in this home. I heard the name of Jesus like every day. And one day the Spirit of God said, boom, that's where your life is. Find it in him. And I did. And I've been following him ever since. That's a beautiful testimony. But it's uneventful and it makes it very hard to discern your old self from your new self. Do you track with me on that? And so here's what happens for us who come from with boring testimonies is that you look for behaviors of pattern or, or, or like patterns of sin in your life that, were rec- that, that would have come from the point at which you trusted in Christ. So if you trusted in Christ when you were like 10 years old, then the way that sin showed up in your life when you were 10, that's what the old self would be. But the problem is, is that sin is, is maturing alongside with you. And so your 10-year-old sin pattern is not going to be the pattern that you're going to fall back into or the way that you're going to see that you're drawing identity. So you have to learn to recognize these corrupt desires, how they would inform your identity now. 
Okay, and so where are you looking for? Uh, where are you looking for promises of life and joy apart from Jesus? That's at the very core of what your old self wants to do: is find life and joy apart from God. Okay, so where are you trying to do that? That is when you're living out of your old self. That's when you're identifying with your old self, when you're drawing meaning, significance, and security from an old self. Do you track with me on that? You can't, it's not that simple of say, well, I used to look at pornography before I was a Christian, so the way I know if I'm drawing my, from my old identity is if I look at pornography. It's not that simple. It's not one-to-one in your behavior. It's one-to-one in what your desire is behind that, which is to find satisfaction apart from God. Do you, do you track with me on this? Okay, because it's going to be really important. This is actually my story. My, I, before I knew Christ, it was not some crazy, uh, sin-filled, debaucherous life. I don't think I've ever been drunk in my whole life. Done, 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 I've never been arrested. My story is not crazy, but the sin in my life was so disgusting before I knew Christ. And the behaviors that my old self would like me to fall back into, they might look different from when I was in junior high, okay? But they're just as corrupted. So, you have to learn what has been done. You put off your old self and then you put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the new person who's been created by God and was put on at the time of your conversion. And so that's what it means when Colossians 3, when he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you put on this new self, the difference between an old self and a new self, you want at the very, very center of that difference is you're at the center of your old self. Christ, who is your life, is in the center of your new self. Your identity, when it's in Christ, is not you at the center of you. I know that sounds bizarre because you're like, well, it's me, right? Here's what the scripture's saying. When Christ, who is your life, everything that's giving you meaning and significance and security in your life is coming from Jesus. That's what that means. And so, that's all the stuff that has been done. And you're like, that doesn't help me because I'm still going to walk out of here and I'm going to experience this disconnect between my old self and the new self. I know what it's supposed to be. I know it's how it's supposed to work. But there's this thing that, that like, what, what am I supposed to do? How does this play out right now? What's happening now? This is what has been done. What is there to do right now? And that's what he says in verse 23. So hidden between these two aorist tense verbs, okay, these two finished and completed things is something that's ongoing, And he says this, he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What is actually ongoing in your Christian life? What's the thing that's continuing to happen, the thing that's not finished and done? When you trusted in Christ, your old self got crucified with Christ, and it's no longer him who lives in you, but it's Christ, okay? And you put on a new self, all your identity before God. Your identity is secure, Okay, but what has to happen for you to draw from that identity is a renewal of your minds. And he says renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, it's the bridge between the putting off and the putting on. And it's not renew your minds. It's be being renewed in your minds. It's something that you're receiving, something that's being done, something that's acting upon you. So when a life of worship is formed in you, Okay? It's because an identity in Christ is being formed in you. 
okay? And that's happening not through all of the things that you're accomplishing, but through something that's working upon you, and particularly in, the, in your mind. And it says the spirit of your minds. That means the direction of your thinking, the, the direction of your thoughts. And if you are like me, if, you know, if you've been walking with Jesus at all, there's a moment when the direction of your thoughts are going to deviate from the person of Jesus, okay? And you're going to start thinking with yourself at the center of your thoughts, yourself as the primary um, agent, the primary uh, re- reward center is yourself, okay? And so you're going to shift the direction of your thinking. You're trying to live out the uh, new self by having your thinking transformed. That's what's got to happen. And so what is this like? What does it look like? And then we're going we're gonna to wrap up, okay? Um, there's a movie called 12 Years a Slave. Anybody seen that movie? 12 Years a Slave. I watched it on an airplane, and uh, usually I like happy movies on airplanes because I'm like, I'm in this metal tube, like so high off the ground, going so fast, and I've got no control, so I need something that's kind of like happy and not stressful, okay? And, uh, and so, but 12 Years a Slave is extremely stressful, it's about a man who was captured into a life of slavery for 12 years. It's written into the title. 12 years he was misidentified as a slave. And he lived a life of a slave with a slave master who was ruling over him with harshness, destroying him. And at the end of that movie, what happens is that... Uh, Somebody comes into the place where he lives. Somebody comes into the place where they live, and they declare his true identity. They say, no, you are a free man. This man is free. Come with me. And so he puts down all of his uh, tools or everything that's associated with this life. He puts that down, and he starts walking with this man who has declared his freedom. He starts walking with him to a carriage. And as he's doing it, what's so profound to me, the slave master is not like, I guess we'll just get it. I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll just move on. That's not what the slave master does at all. He's screaming. He's screaming at this man at the top of his lungs saying, you get back here. You belong to me. You are not a free man. You are a slave. This is your name. He'd give him a different name. This is your name. This is who you are. You belong to me the whole time. And he never relented. He never stopped screaming at this man, trying to get him to come back into this life of slavery. That is what your Christian life is like. That is what the enemy is doing in your life. That is what sin is doing around you is saying, hey, you, you, you belong to me. You're not a free person. You don't belong to Christ. God doesn't love you. He hasn't accepted you. His grace isn't strong enough for you. It won't finish the work for you. Come back into this old self. Come back into this old self. Look for life in these old places. That is what is happening in your Christian life. That's why you have to be renewed in your thinking. And so, to close, I'm going to give you an acronym. All right? In newborn life, they give you a lot of acronyms. Okay? Not for the newborns, for the parents. And uh, I think it's because they're like, hey, this person is not rested. They need every handhold possible. They're not thinking clearly. They give them something that they can remember this when, you know, diapers are full of things that are crazy and tears are falling and your other kids cry. Like, give them something they can remember, okay? Cries is one of them, okay? So I'm like, when the baby cries, do these things, okay? So here's the acronym for you. It's, it's, uh, it's what I want you to be. It's free. F-R-E-E. I want you to live free. So focus on who you are in God's eyes. 
You need to focus on that. Like, actually think about it. Colossians 3, Paul says, set your mind on things above. Why? Because Christ, who is your life, that's where he is. All of your identity is there. Focus on that. You're like, this is dumb. Uh, Try it. Try it. Focus on your standing with the creator God. When you're tempted to operate out of an old self, when you recognize that in you, Focus on your right standing in heaven, who you are in God's eyes. F, R, remember how you became that way. How'd you get to have that standing? Jesus finished all the work already. Does that mean we don't ever do anything? Yes, we do stuff we're going to talk about next week. But how did you become who you are in Christ? His finished work in the gospel. Remember that. Preach that to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says our main problem in life is that we listen to ourselves more than we talk to ourselves. Okay, and then then, uh, focus, remember, expose the old self. Expose the old self. Trace the lines of thinking. I did this last week, okay? I'm not making this up. I, I, I got into a situation and all, my blood, plush, blood pressure was rising because I was frustrated and it was turning into anger and it was running me down a path that's contrary to what Christ wants for me. So I literally had to go back and focus on who I am in Christ, remember how I became that way, and then I have to expose. You, come, you dig up the lines of thinking from your mind and you trace those to where your thoughts, feelings, or actions are connected to worship of something other than God, when you're trying to worship or trust or treasure something other than God, maybe it's in a comfort or it's in power or if it's in control, whatever that is, okay, you got to expose that and don't expose it to yourself. Expose it to the people around you. You want to see your identity not be confused? Start telling people how ugly the old self in you really is and believing that that's not you anymore. Again, this week I'm doing this. Hey, you know what looks, you know what this is in me that's showing up this way? My old self, here's how it looks. That's what discipleship groups are built for almost exclusively. Expose your old self and embrace your new self. That's your last E. Expose the old self and embrace the new self. Who you have been made and are being made into in Jesus. Okay? Live free. Um, And last note of encouragement I'll tell you is that... um, Our daughter Emma was born four weeks ago, and she was seven pounds and four ounces when she was born. And uh, if I held her right now, she would seem about the same to me because I've held her every day since then. And I've looked at her every day and talked to her every day and all that, constantly around her, not as much as my wife, but a lot. And... um, She looks very much the same to me, but if you saw her when she was born and then you saw her today, you'd say, wow, that girl has grown a lot. She's been eating a lot, and we'd be like, I know, we feed her like all the time. And why I'm telling you that is like, I don't want you to be discouraged as you're growing in Jesus, as you're learning what it really looks like to live not out of this old self, but out of this new self. That will grow very slowly sometimes. And so you might be discouraged by how slow you seem to grow. But I think if you actually engage with this, not in your behaviors, but in your mind, learning to be renewed by the Spirit of God in the direction of your thinking, that you're actually going to grow in actually living out this identity, and you won't look the same uh, a year from now, 10 years from now, 
Even if you grew just a little bit over the course of the rest of your life, I don't really care. I just want you to grow and know who you are in Jesus because that's who you will be forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. Would you renew our thinking, the direction of our thinking? Holy Spirit, would you act upon us? This is a crazy request, but I believe, Holy Spirit, that where the people in this room were myself, were not living according to the identity that you have purchased for us in Jesus, that where that's not happening, that you can act upon us and renew the spirit of our minds. Would this be a community that lives differently, but not because our behaviors are different, but because our identities are different. It's in Jesus' name we ask this, Father. Amen.